0: Last week, when Father Michael Kaiser was here, there are two things I want to remind you of that he said that we're going to... In fact, they're critical. They're critical to our understanding the Mass and what we're doing in the Divine Liturgy of the Church. And the first thing is this. The first part of his teaching last week was talking about the institution of the Lord's Supper. When Christ broke the bread and blessed it and the wine and so on. And he said, do this in what? Remembrance. Remembrance. Remember what Father Michael said. The critical understanding of remembrance is not the remembrance where I draw back some mental recollection of a story I once heard and I think about it. That is not the word that's used when Jesus is instructing his disciples. He's saying, when you do this, remember me, I am as with you in that moment as I was with my disciples in that moment. God is present in Christ at the altar and we are coming to be with him, to learn from him, to receive from him. So that's one of the things that Father Michael taught. Secondly was this. At the very end, he said something very appropriate. That the church does not exist to answer all the toughest questions in life. Remember that? Why so and so died at such an age? Why this happens? Why war happens? Why? It's not there for that. All of that is simple. It's a result of the fall of man. Period. Let it go. What the church exists for, when we come to Mass, we not only come to be with Christ, but we come to find healing and wholeness and comfort and peace where there once was none. Right? Okay. Keep those ideas in your mind as we continue today. Today's topic is this. I'm going to call it ascending the mountain. Now you see this on the board. Some of you in the back may see it faint. I can't get it any darker. It's a shape. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. Because we cannot go into the mass to learn the different parts and what all of it means without understanding the overall shape of the liturgy that God has given us, and I'll say this, you'll hear it later, the shape of the liturgy that God has given us because He knows how to bring us to Himself and He knows how to bring salvation to His people. So He gives us a shape, a form to come and meet with Him. You with me? So today is about the shape of the liturgy. I'm going to read to you now from Isaiah and chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, and listen to this. Come And let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What is the image you heard about here? What's the image? A mountain. A mountain. And we need to understand that this passage in Isaiah is prophecy. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people about something that's going to happen in the future, something that's going to come. Because notice it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that God's house will be established on top of the mountains. And it is in these latter days that people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And I would put to you that this prophecy that Isaiah spoke is fulfilled in the eternal worship that occurs when God's people, both in heaven and earth, as Father Michael mentioned, meet together with God through the divine liturgy, the Mass. So let's talk about this ascension and our Christian spirituality. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. In this very verse, we're given an incredibly important image key to understanding the Mass. It is the image that the Christian is ever on a path of ascension we are always on a path of ascending toward the God who comes to meet with us and isn't that true in our Christian spirituality are we not as we join together with God as we cooperate with the grace and the presence of God in our lives are we not ever ascending from that which was put to death to the one that gave us life And becoming more like God through that theological term we throw out a lot called theosis. Becoming more like our God by grace. It is a life of ascension. That's the path destined for the Christian. So why shouldn't it be the main shape of the pinnacle of all Christian events? The Mass. Where we ascend to meet with God. Every time we gather together, we do the same thing. We gather, we meet, we start at the base of the mountain, so to speak. And it's during the Mass that we make our ascent, step by step, ever moving towards absolute communion with God. Yet, and I want you to hear this, even while we're ascending, God is present with us, giving us his grace that we need to get up there to go where he brings us to himself to meet with us, teach us, be with us, and heal us. That is what it's all about. I want to read you a couple of paragraphs from a teaching of Father Alexander Schmemann. Father Alexander Schmemann is known as one of the greatest modern theologians when it comes to sacramental theology. The sacraments, the liturgy, what it all means, and how we're transformed through it. Father Alexander Schmemann wrote a book called For the Life of the World. And I read you a portion. Listen to his description of the Mass, even of the early church. He he says this, The early Christians realized that in order to become the temple of the Holy Spirit, they must ascend to heaven where Christ has ascended. They realized also that this ascension was the very condition of their mission in the world, of their ministry to the world. For there in heaven, they were immersed in the new life of the kingdom. And when after this liturgy of ascension, they returned to the world, their faces reflected the light, the joy and peace of that kingdom, And they were truly its witnesses. They brought no programs and no theories. But wherever they went, the seeds of the kingdom sprouted. Faith was kindled. Life was transfigured. Things impossible were made possible. They were witnesses. And when they were asked, whence shines the light? Where is the source of this power? They knew what to answer, and they knew where to lead them. Isn't that beautiful? And that's from the early church's perspective. They saw this liturgy as the divine ascent where heaven and earth collided and were immersed together. And that in those moments, they dwelled and just lived life in the very kingdom of God. The peace and the joy and the grace and the power. And when they left, they left having been empowered, carrying everything that they had received with them into the world to become the continuing incarnational ministry of Jesus Christ. That in and through them all men might know the love of God and might join them in life's ascension. You get what he's teaching. And this is the Mass. This always has been the divine liturgy of the church not just some human play we put on on Saturdays where Sundays where everybody knows their mark we have marks to assist us to ascend, to be with the living God in all reality and in no different way as Jesus Christ was present on the day where he instituted all this in the first place. So the pattern of the Mass is this. We gather, which by the way it's where the word Mass comes from, We mass together, we gather together, we ascend through the liturgy to commune with God in Holy Eucharist, we descend preparing ourselves and being prepared to go out into the world with all that we have received, and then the last part, by the way, of the mass is not here, it's in the divine liturgy of your life where you go from this place living in and from God at all times, continuing to be transformed by the living God and calling others out of love to that same transformation. I've given this example before with liturgy here, but I'll say it again. It's a, Trust me, it's a silly example, and yet it shows a reality. So hang in there with me. Who saw the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve? Okay. If you remember in that movie, there's this funny scene. It's actually the first time Clark Kent turns into Superman. And so he's running because he's got to save Lois who's dangling from a building from a helicopter because that just happens. And he goes and he's ready to change into Superman and he comes up on one of those wall phones. Now it used to be, remember, one of those phone booths in the old story. So he looks at it and he shakes his head. He moves on and he finds a revolving door of some building. And so more and more rapidly, he speeds up, he speeds up, he speeds up. What do you notice the more that he goes around that revolution? He's looking less like who? And looking more like who? Okay, it may be silly, but the divine liturgy is our revolving door, met with the presence of God, to where every time we come, we ascend, And from being with our God who loves us, we leave this place looking a bit more like our sinful flesh and blood that has been put to death. And more like the virtuous divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't say becoming divinity, but becoming like his virtuous divinity. Okay? Now, the church also teaches us that in the Old Testament... There are many types, they call them types of things or people or events, that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the incarnation and the new covenant. We see what is to come in the Old Testament, it is fulfilled in the new, right? Okay. This idea of the shape of the liturgy ascending the mountain, being with God, being transformed and leaving from that place, bringing the law back, is not New Testament. It is the way that God has always chosen to meet with His people. Let me give you a few examples out of the Old Testament. Remember Moses in the burning bush? In Exodus chapter 3, we have Moses' first encounter with God. And we're told in the story that Moses, at that time, who is shepherding a flock, he leads the flock up the mountain called Horeb, which is the mountain of God. It is there on Mount Horeb that he encounters God in the burning bush event. And in the meeting with God, Moses' life is forever transformed and altered. And while he is with God at the burning bush, God speaks to him. He tells Moses, Moses, you are to go into Egypt because I intend to use you to release all of my people who are in captivity under Pharaoh, right? That's the story. That was Moses' calling. Do you see the shape here? Moses, up the mountain, on the mountain, met and experienced God. God shared himself with Moses, directed Moses for his life. Moses came down, and what did he do? Obediently, he goes into Egypt, and what happens? God, through Moses, releases those who are captive. You see that? Okay? Let's go one step further. We'll stay with Moses. Moses. How about Moses and when Moses was given the law by God on Mount Sinai? Now this story actually runs from Exodus 19 through 34. Would somebody like to read that? Just kidding. (laughs) But that is where it occurs. Because Moses ends up going up, going back down, going back up, and a lot of stuff happens. Let's remember the story. God calls Moses to come out to Mount Sinai. And he has the people stay at the base of the mountain in this particular instance. Moses goes up. And what the people saw at the very tip of the mountain, its peak, is they saw it completely clouded in the glory cloud of God. And while that cloud was there, all they saw, instead of hearing the actual voice of God, they heard thunder, they saw lightning, and the cloud covered the top, so that when Moses ascended, they couldn't see Moses anymore. Now remember, Moses was up there for 40 days. What do the people do as that time got a little bit long? They think he's dead. They haven't seen him, they see thunder, lightning, it's a very frightening scene to them. So they think that he's dead. So they build themselves a golden calf to worship. Brilliant. And they melt all their jewels. And they commit to dancing and grotesquely sinful living as Moses is being given the very law. Moses comes down. We know he breaks the tablets. And in the judgment of God, many suffered that day for their turning against God. So Moses goes back up the mountain. And this time he's there for quite a long time. And we're told that the very, get this, the very finger of God present with him up at the top of the mountain wrote in the stone the law. Can you imagine what Moses must have seen being there? But there's something very different about Moses this time. And I do want to read this part from Exodus chapter 34. Because this time he goes down to the people, but something's different about Moses. Listen to the story. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. It glowed. And they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had given them, And he put a veil on his face after he had done so. But whenever Moses went in to the Lord to speak with him, he would unveil his face until he came out. And then he would go out and speak to the children. What do we see here? Moses from his time directly communing with God. Showed forth the very glory that was there at the top of the mountain. Moses himself was transfigured. He had changed. While beholding God even on his own body. So much so that it noticeably frightened Aaron and the others who were with him. So again get once again the pattern of God's meeting. The base, Moses ascends, he communes with God and in the presence of God, he is both transfigured and he receives from God something to bring back down, right? In this case, the law. But what he received from God, he brought down and descended and went out and communicated. St. Paul echoes... or Let me back up. Is this not what Father Shmaman is saying that I read to you a minute ago about the liturgy? Listen to this little portion again. For there in the liturgy, in the Mass, for there in heaven... They, Christians, were immersed in the new life of the kingdom. And when after this liturgy of ascension, they returned into the world, their faces reflected the light, the joy and peace of that kingdom. And they were truly its witnesses. Now, St. Paul echoes this in one of my favorite passages of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, But we all, he's talking to the church, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's the picture? It's exactly what happened to Moses at the top of the mountain. With an unveiled face, we behold God through Christ. And when we leave, it's like as if a mirror was imprinted based on what we were looking at. What we beheld there. And we leave having been transformed more into that likeness for one another to see amongst each other. And for the world that so desperately needs the grace of God. Needs. And this is to be our experience with God together. Coming to mass. Being graced by God in the mass as we ascend. And taking the grace we receive from our union with God. From here into the world testifying to the kingdom. The life, the love the peace, the joy, and the reality of our God who has just met with us and goes with us as we go out. And I say it again. This structure of the Mass, the ascension, meeting, descending, and going out, remember this, it is God who knows humanity. It is God who knows how to meet with humanity. It is God who knows how to draw humanity to Himself. It is the God who heals, and it is the God who then sends you. And so He gave us the liturgy. He gave us the Mass for this very experience. So if all of this is a reality... It's a great time to place, place a twofold question in our minds. It demands introspection, searching. It also demands an answer. First question is this Are we experiencing this? Don't nod your heads or anything. Relax. You're not on the spot. Except Peter. We'll talk to him later. <laughs> Are we experiencing all that God has for us? Because I guarantee it's not the absence of God. The second question is this. If not or if not in full, why not? See, it's my prayer as we go through this journey of the Mass together that we all, this includes your priest, becomes more mindful of what we're doing here that we know how to come and prepare ourselves and meet with God and be with God and receive from God and worship God and go out to be little Christ. That is what Christian means, little Christ. I want to finalize today talking to you about the four definitive stages of the shape of the Mass okay and the first one is this the first stage is preparation this is what we're going to talk about next week and again I'm going to give you these stages because as we go through the Mass I'm going to tell you where we are why we're there and why, how this is gracing us and helping us get to God And receive from God But the first stage is preparation And by the way We prepare ourselves at the base of the mountain to meet with God I want you to understand That preparation for mass does not begin here Preparation for mass begins before you get here in your homes. Now, we know a few things that we're to do to prepare for Mass. For one, we have the Eucharistic fast. For all of those that can physically do it, we are to not eat anything or drink anything before Mass. Now, remember, why do we do that? So that we're hungry? Well, not exactly. We don't fast to starve ourselves to death, we fast for life. Fasting is always accompanied with what? Prayer. Prayer. Remember what fasting does? When we fast and feel that bit of hunger, and by the way, we're not starving. We eat way too much at every other meal to be starving from a Eucharistic fast. But when we even feel that shift in our being, we know we, our bodies are used to eating breakfast. We're denying ourselves that. We feel it. It is to drive us toward our need for only one thing, the bread of life. When I feel the hunger, I pray, Lord, I need you. And as I come and worship you today, let this help me prepare. Remember, Christ says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for what? They will be filled. We're stirring up the hunger for God by his grace even then preparing ourselves there are also prayers of preparation we come in we're supposed to pray something that i'm going to give you next week when we even enter a church when we dip our finger in the holy water and cross ourselves when we genuflect and by the way matins matins is part of liturgical preparation so is vespers Vespers. and i'm going to tell you right now particularly on sunday mornings There are times that I come in less distracted and there are times that I come here more distracted. With weightier things on my mind, sometimes free. But I'm going to tell you right now that in matins and in the prayers that we do back behind everything, it prepares me. It changes me. It shifts my focus. It helps me by grace to lay my distractions and my burdens and my concerns at the side Peter, what does the cherubic hymn say? Let us now lay aside all earthly cares that we may receive the king of all. That's preparation for mass. Let us lay aside all earthly cares. So there is the great need for preparation. That's the first stage at the base of the mountain. Some of it we do alone. Some of it we do together. We'll look at this next week. The second phase of the liturgy is our ascent. We begin ascending the mountain. We have prayers. We have the introit. We have the sensing of the altar. We have the colics that collect our thoughts, preparing us to receive the Word of God. We have the liturgy of the Word, both spoken and read and preached. All of these things are the beginnings of the ascent. The ascent goes all the way to the third stage, which is Eucharist the peak absolute communion with God in a very physical way and spiritual way as we take what is made his body and blood the bread and the wine into ourselves joining ourselves to him and receiving from him even in those moments even in those moments the next stage is the descent the descent. Now the descent really starts about midway through the prayer of thanksgiving after we've received the body and blood of Jesus Christ and it stays with us. We are in the descent all the way until we leave the very church. Everything that we do at that point. And five is mission. The mission Of the church, this is our life at all times. In between mass, here we take the grace and life which we have received from God at the peak of the mountain and cooperate with us with it in our lives toward two goals. One is the salvation of our own souls. Secondly, the salvation of others. The salvation of others. In other words. We go for the salvation of our own soul and we go to fulfill the mission Jesus Christ gave us, which said what? Go into all the world and make disciples, followers of me, people like yourselves filled with God. Go into the world and make disciples of all men and we baptize them and we teach them and instruct them in the ways of Jesus Christ in church and through the church. And here's the other part of that mission, if you want it any more clear than that. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Get it? That's the mission. We are all to be about collectively as the church. God is saving me. God has brought me into himself. He is reconciling me. And all of us are given that ministry in our lives. So it's for our salvation. And it's for the reconciliation of the world to God. The church Stands as the continuing ministry, because what are we called? The body of who? The body of Christ. Body sounds pretty physical, doesn't it? This is it. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. All of us collectively are living stones put together to show forth the mosaic of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to conclude with this. We have something working against us in all of this, do we not? What is it? What works against us? Distractions. I'm sorry? Distractions. Distractions? Good. What else? I was thinking the devil. The devil? Fears. The demonic, yes. What? Fears. Fears. Thank you. Yes. Lack of belief. Lack That's of belief. Okay. Lack of belief. Human nature. Human nature. You guys have that? All right. Laziness. And we, we could go on and on. We're getting the picture, the bottom line. There are two things always working against us in preparation, working against us as we ascend in the Eucharist, descending and fulfilling the mission. Our own flesh and blood and our weaknesses, and our enemy who loves to tweak them. What's this icon of? The set ladder of this, set. Jacob's Ladder It is the icon of Jacob's Ladder I want you to notice what's at play here Because this is always at play in the Christian life In the top left corner We see the angelic, the heavenly, the kingdom of God In the lower right corner We see the demonic and in the, in the kingdom of darkness That seeks to bring death And in between, we have people trying to ascend. The top is wooing, it's the cloud of witnesses cheering on the faithful. The ones at the bottom are shooting things at those on this great ladder arrows, hmm, fiery darts, scripture would call them. This is at play in every one of our lives, at every moment of our existence. And we really, all of us here, need to be further reawakened or maybe even awakened to this absolute reality. Because one of the greatest deceptions that our enemy can bring on us is that he is not really doing much. Or that God isn't either. And it keeps us neutral. It keeps us numb. And we're not prayerful. We're not watchful. We're not engaged at all times in the life of the Holy Spirit that God gives us in prayer communion with God. But I promise you this. That as we go through this, that in every stage of this incredible event, there is an enemy, which includes our own flesh, that seeks to distract us. And we need to offer ourselves at every stage to God in faithfulness. When we're distracted, we need to recognize the distractions and learn to recognize the distractions and where they're coming from. We need to be about the spiritual disciplines that prepare us. We need to know why we do what we do in the Mass. Why do we say things? Why do we genuflect? Why do we sign ourselves with the cross? And the incredibly profound grace that is given in each Action because we serve a God who is with us in the preparation, who graces us with strength to ascend and cast aside those world those earthly cares, to meet with Him and receive life, to prepare ourselves to go out from the mountain and to shine forth the virtuous glory of God in our lives and in our homes. If we don't get the pattern, this is why I did this today, with an understanding of it, we'll never get the Mass. Nor will we ever engage it and experience all that God desires as we meet not just with Him, but with Heaven in the same place. And I love how the Celtics put it. In the Mass the distance between heaven and earth gets very thin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.